Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rerun Shuffle, the podcast where we hit shuffle on Comfort TV. Uh, this is episode five. So if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, you should visit viewpointsonline.org or search for the Viewpoint Network on Anchor FM or Spotify and check out our other episodes as well as a few of our other shows, which we'll talk about later. I am apparently Dino Tim Nacy. <laughs> just for anybody unfamiliar, um, my Discord photo used to be. It's no longer. This, this, this nickname is outdated now. Um, and yet John still insists on calling you Dino yeah, Tim. But yeah, multimedia reporter John Guerrero coined this phrase. I used to have, uh, there was this anime from the 80s and 90s. I forgot what it was called, but it was Godzilla wearing sunglasses. The coolest dino in the world. Yeah, it turned into a meme. Uh, that wasn't very cash money of you. Um, <laughs> which is like, it, that meme will never die to me. Honestly. It's so good. Um, but yeah, so yes, I have been referred to as Dino Tim, despite the fact that my Discord photo is now the watcher from What If, looking grossed out. <laughs> which, you know, some of, some, some, of the, some of the memes that pop up on our meme page on there. That's basically... Basically my face. Basically. <laughs> yeah. But yes, aside from being an enthusiast of cool dinosaurs, I am also the multimedia editor here. And I'm also a person that just flat doesn't know when to stop. I, we just, we just recorded our third show, uh, which is actually another one that I'm co-hosting. It's called uh, Six by Six Theater, where we review movies. Uh, you'll probably be able to see that. No, you will have seen that the day before this comes out, I believe. Depends on when um, our producer, Gogo, is finished editing. Uh, but yeah, I was up till three that um, the other night watching my movie because I waited until the last minute. And then also I was watching this episode for this show <laughs> right after that. So yeah, I was I was up super late. And uh, messed up thing is, I don't regret it. I'm, I'm having a good time. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but I'm happy for you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so TV-wise, I'm a sitcom obsessive primarily. But uh, I also love uh, cartoons and like episodic procedural adventure of the week action. Yeah, baby. Love it. And um, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> who am I? Stranger just wandered into the, into the booth. <laughs> I am Leo Cabral. I can't believe I've forgotten to include my pronouns, but here they are. They're they and them. Um, it's episode five, and I'm just now telling y'all my pronouns. Sorry. Um, I'm also the editor-in-chief at Viewpoints. I'm a queer, non-binary, trans, multimedia journalist. I am a simple Southern California cryptid who loves horror anthologies, much like the one we are going to be discussing today. <laughs> cryptid. <laughs> I hadn't read that in the outline before. <laughs> just throwing that one out there. By the way, guys, I'm a mythical creature. <laughs> That's my gender. Didn't you know? <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. So yeah, before usually before uh, we get into our show, yeah, I threw off the rhythm this time. No, you're good. <laughs> um, I think you do need we, that caffeine. We like to uh, we like to talk about something. We like to talk about stuff that we're that we're currently watching. Um, I've been real bad with my with my recent TV. Um, you know, I'm watching What If, but everybody's talking about What If. Also watching Ted Lasso, but everybody's also talking about Ted Lasso. <laughs> I've been I've been talking a lot lately about my rewatches. Um, I think both of us have actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so my show right now that I just started rewatching was uh, one of my old favorites uh, from like the early 2010s, uh, Burn Notice. Um, it's created by uh, Matt Nix, who's also behind one of my current favorites, uh, Turner and Hooch. Uh, it stars uh, Jeffrey Donovan. You've probably seen his face. He's a super underrated character actor. He's, he, he shows up in a lot of stuff. He doesn't get a lot of starring roles because he doesn't really come off like a leading man. But he is a fantastic, like goofy, over-the-top character actor. And he plays in the show a former black ops operative named uh, Michael Weston. Michael's on a mission when he is informed by his agency that he's been burned, which anybody doesn't know about spy stuff, which no, I don't really either, but I feel like I do because Burn Notice explains it to me. <laughs> um, 
Um, Spy 101. It basically, it basically just means like what happens if Tom Cruise fails one of his Mission Impossible missions. You're just like cut off, um, disavowed. Uh, everything is just kind of out in the open now. Uh, you have no money. And they just drop you wherever they decide to drop you. And in, and in his case, he got lucky because they dropped him in Miami, Florida, which is his old hometown. So basically, Michael just gallivants across Miami um, <laughs> under the constant supervision of various shadowy government agencies. You know, the FBI's around, the CIA's around. There's like the scary rogue agency that's doing stuff behind his back. And he looks for, and he's, and he's just, um, who are, they're, they're all just looking for a reason to either put him away for the rest of his life or just like put a bullet in him and, and just kill him on the spot. Okay. I had no idea that burn notice was this intense. Oh, it's like ever. What's, what's weird is it's a really, it's a really, it's, it, it actually, it actually is a pretty light show. It's, it's what, what happens with it is that, um, Michael uses his spy skills to help people. Like he, like he'll just like people, people will reach out to him saying, you know, this criminal is messing with me. You know, my daughter got kidnapped or this guy's like shaking me down for protection money. And he'll use his, you know, his, his like character building skills, like his acting skills that he learned as a spy and all of his various different kinds of like, um, he's really, he's really good with machines and building things. And so he'll use all those skills to just like help the little guy. And he does that with uh, the help of his old friend, Sam, who is played by the absolutely legendary Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. I didn't know he was in the show when I first watched it. And I'm like, yes. Okay, now I'm 100% in. And his incredibly violent and slightly unhinged um, ex-girlfriend, Fiona, normally known as Fee. I really consider the show to be kind of like a spiritual successor to like MacGyver because Michael is really good at like combining implausible things to help him on his adventures. Like it's, 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 it's very much like MacGyver in the way that like he'll, 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 he'll tell you something. Cause, cause that's, that's a big part of the show is that he does a, Michael does a voiceover and he'll just explain things to you about like, about like spycraft. You know, and just like, just like, just like really, really simple things like, oh, well, um, if you feel like someone might sneak up on you, it's always good to get a seat facing the door, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but he'll also be, but he'll also be like, oh, you know, um, it's a little known fact that, you know, um, common household weed killers, um, if you take that, there's a chemical in there where if you like crush up a paper clip and sprinkle that in there, it'll create an explosive. <laughs> If you blow a fan on it, you know it's it it it, it sounds like it, it sounds better than that. Like usually, you're just like I, I guess I guess I buy it. I don't know enough about chemicals to dispute it. Yeah, I'm just sitting here like, excuse me. <laughs> it's it's like really it's like really wild stuff. Like it was the, in the first episode, there's a part where he like he he like he like um like mildly carjacks this guy. Like like he doesn't actually like he doesn't actually he doesn't actually steal the car. He just like hops in. With the guy and says, "Scoot over," oh. and he drives, and he's like, I, I, "I need, I need, a, I need a big car with no airbags," and he uses it to like barrel into the guy who's like going after this kid. Oh my god! And um, and like it sets off the guy's airbags, and it goes into his voiceover, and he's like, "The great thing about airbags is that they can save lives, but they can also knock you unconscious just long enough for someone to zip tie you to a steering wheel." Wow. <laughs> and yeah, he carries zip ties around. It's real weird. Um, and then, of course, talk. because Michael's a good guy, he gives the guy. I think he gives the guy some money when he leaves and says, "Oh, by the way, the 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 the, co- the, co- the cops are on their way. You should probably get out of here." <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 a show that like he gets into these episodic adventures every week. He has a client that you know he he infiltrates the infiltrates the criminal underworld by doing like just a scumbag character. Like there's like primarily he does like like um like a Jersey guy. <laughs> Oh, like a what? like a Jersey jerk, <laughs> and he's really like, like Jeff, Jeffrey Donovan is really good at that. 
And it's just always fun to watch him do that. But then at the beginning and end of each episode, they kind of get into this like conspiracy, like serialized conspiracy mystery about like why they burned him because he didn't do because it's it's established pretty early on and we trust him that he didn't do anything. Like they something happened and they wanted him off the they wanted him off the map. So top and bottom of each episode, much like Turner and Hooch actually, they get into the actual like of the plot of the series and that mm-hmm. and that goes over the entire thing. Uh, this the show holds a very special place in my heart because I've been because I was watching uh, all of my procedural uh, favorites, uh, Psych, Chuck, and Burn Notice in the, this one, um, for the first time all at the same time around like 2011. And so yeah, that, 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 that was a good time for TV discoveries for me. A whole decade ago, wow. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Can you believe that? <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find this show on Hulu, and I really highly, highly recommend you do it. It's a really fun show. I guess I'm gonna have to look into it, especially if it has Ash from The Evil Dead. Oh my God, Bruce Campbell's the best. <laughs> my, my my favorite thing in the world that I that I because I, I I didn't know who I, I didn't know who Bruce Campbell was when I was a kid, but it's my favorite like retroactive discovery that in the in the first uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, it was Bruce Campbell who gave Spider-Man his name. <laughs> What I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that. yeah, he was the he was the he was the wrestling announcer, and he was like, and he, and, oh. and, and and he was like, I'm what 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 was your name again? And he's like, oh, I'm the I'm the human spider. No, 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 that's crap. You're the amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> Dude, I didn't even. Okay, so it's funny because my I, I, I talk about my girlfriend so much. You're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm just that one guy who's like my girlfriend. Anyway, I, I wish I had one to talk about. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. I'm not, I'm not messing around. We're good. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, so my girlfriend Viola mentioned um, we should watch all the Spider-Mans. And uh, like my brain omitted the Tobey Maguire ones immediately. For some reason, I was like, yeah, I'm down to watch all the Spider-Mans. I'm thinking about like the comics, like the animated series, all the all the other movies outside of Tobey Maguire. But dude, I need to go back and watch those now because... That's it. Yeah, I think I think he's I think he's in um, all three because he's like he's like in tight with Sam Raimi because obviously they made the Evil Dead movies together. Oh right, and how that makes sense. And yeah, he's he's always always around. Oh, and a fun thing too is that um, I don't know if he ever played any of the uh, PS2 or Xbox games from those Raimi. Um, yeah, Bruce Campbell does the voiceover for the uh, the tutorials. Shut up. Like yeah, 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 that whole thing. Like so, just pull the gum out of your ears and listen up. (laughs) Every my childhood makes so much sense now. (laughs) Wow. Oh my God! You just blew my mind. That is, that's beautiful. So yes, we're uh, big fans of Bruce Campbell Apparently, around here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love that guy. What I'm watching is a little lighter. I finally finished Kid Cosmic last week, season two, and I am blown away. It's on Netflix, and okay, so this one is a little comicy. Um, it starts it starts off like you know kiddish, and it focuses on you know the inhabitants of a small town near New Mexico or something like that. And we mainly focus on the regulars at Mo's Oasis. It's a diner that is quite literally an oasis in this expansive desert. Um, it kind of reminds me of my time living in the high desert. Personal <laughs> connection. That's always a good place to start. I like having shows where I can like pinpoint some kind of personal connection, you know, where I can just insert myself. Because who, what, what audience member does not like to insert themselves into a narrative? Yeah, some characters include Kid, the annoying nine-ish year old whose whose whole focus in life is to become a superhero. Papa G, his grandpa and guardian, his cat tuna sandwich, and aliens. It's a whole bunch of fun stuff. It's really short. So there's like 10 episodes in season one, eight, eight episodes in season two. It's made by the Craig McCracken, the guy oh, who created okay. Powerpuff Girls. So second season went dark. It gets so, okay, so towards the end of season one and in 
some parts it does get pretty serious. If you kind of if you kind of like Marvel and like the Infinity Wars, wait, it's called Infinity War, right? Yes, yeah, the, yeah, the whole Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet, whatever you want to call it. That, the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole big Thanos arc at the end of Phase Three. Everybody out there. So this cartoon revolves around magical stones that are created from destroyed planets that give the person who holds these stones a specific power. Mm. So if you really like that whole thing with Marvel, what they did with with Thanos, they even have their own. <laughs> They have their own, like, um, riff on Thanos. His name is Phantos, and he's a big old mama's boy. He's a collector. He's, like, a fanboy of the world-sized world destroyer. They take some influence from pop culture like Star Trek, Star Wars, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously, because of that riff on Thanos. It's just really cool. And at the end, at the very end of season two, there is a crucial cameo that you guys don't want to miss. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but it, it blew my mind. I'd love to check it out. That whole Thanos thing sounds pretty funny because um, it goes back, because that actually goes back to the original, um, you know, uh, Thanos quest followed by the Infinity Gauntlet comics mm-hmm. because they got away from this in the movies. Uh, it, it was more of like an ideological thing. Thanos just felt like the universe was out of balance. There were too many people and not enough resources. And because he's... A lot of people get angry about Thanos because they think, well, why doesn't he just use his godlike power to double the resources? But the answer is, he's crazy. He's a crazy <laughs> war criminal. And killing was the first place his mind went. If Captain America got the stones, he probably would have doubled the resources in the space. But mm-hmm. Thanos did not. And But anyway, that's that's beside the point. Um, it, so yeah, he, he had like an ideological thing. He's actually a lot more of a a lot more of a um, grounded character in this one. Uh, in the comics, actually, it actually it, it's not exactly like in Kid Cosmic, but um, the basic idea in the comic is that he wants to gather the Infinity Stones to 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 impress to impress the the concept of death, Lady Death, who is the, who he's in love with. So yes, Thanos is simping in the original comics. Whoa, whoa, whoa! He needs to back <laughs> off, Lady Death, because that's my lady. <laughs> but what happens is, um, he gets the stones, and she says, "Well, now, like, well, well, she's she's talking through, uh, basically Marvel's version of the Devil Mephisto, and he and he sa- and he says that, um, well, Lady Death, you know, she can't bring herself to talk to you because now you're like outside of her power level. Like you, she, she considers you her superior and she feels weird talking to you. She can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> and so he throws a tantrum, snaps his fingers and erases half the universe. Uh, so yeah, the, um, the, 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 the version of, the, it, it's obviously not on the exact same level, but the version of the, 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 this kind of Thanos riff that they do in Kid Cosmic, it really ties into like the immaturity of the comics version of Thanos, and I'm kind of there for that. He's really immature. He's um a, quite literally a big baby, basically. And yeah, like if you're if you're into that comic Thanos, you'd be into Kid Cosmic. Be on the lookout for that. You can watch it on Netflix. I, I'll, have, I'll have to check that out. Do you, is it is it is it still is it like currently running or did it end? We're gonna be waiting for the third season. That one's still to be announced, but they just finished the second season. Okay, yeah, I was wondering because you said you finished it. I was wondering, does that mean it's over or is it like or, or did you just catch up? But okay, for but, now, <laughs> for now. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. So, Leo, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one because I know that this episode that we're talking about today is near and dear to you. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's get let's get into our rewatch for the week. This week, we watched The Twilight Zone, Season 2, Episode 6, The Eye of the Beholder. So The Twilight Zone is both my childhood and all-time favorite show. I grew up watching the classic one with my dad, and we always tuned into CBS during those holiday marathons. We would just chill and sit around, eat snacks, watch the marathons until it was over. Um, It kind of planted the seed for my obsession with horror, sci-fi, the supernatural, and anthologies. 
Again, really close to my heart. I love it. Big comfort TV right here. You can watch Twilight Zone Classic on Hulu, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus, YouTube, Google Play Movies and TV, and on Vudu. A lot of options. Oh, yeah. It's all over the place. Um, yeah, I'm a little ashamed to say that um, my, 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 for the longest time, see, I've, I've, I've grown into somebody who's really, really into like film and cinema. But as a kid, if something didn't have a superhero in it or wasn't animated or didn't have like some comedian I recognized from a sitcom or something, <laughs> um, or especially if it wasn't in color, I was not interested. So for the longest time there, my primary exposure to the Twilight Zone was from a Disneyland ride that I was too scared to go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. Um... No, yeah, my dad introduced me to, like, the old classic stuff. He's a real classic guy, funnily enough, because he was just this young (laughs) thug from L.A. (laughs) But he was also my father who loved old TV and uh, black and white TV shows, the old black and white Doctor Who, Mm. all that fun stuff. Even the X-Files, but I was too scared to watch that one until my early 20s. (laughs) You know, I I feel you on that. My grandma was really super into the X-Files. Scared the hell out of me. Like, just just the theme song. I didn't like being in the theme song. It's It's like the creepiest theme song I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. I feel the same exact way. For the longest time, the theme song would would cause a panic attack in me. <laughs> it was that scary to me for a while. No, I totally, I 100% feel it. I think there's a lot of people out there who probably feel the same way. Oh, good. Creepy I'm glad show. I'm not alone. So some background on The Twilight Zone. It is a creepy horror sci-fi anthology created by my husband, Rod Serling. <laughs> he is the coolest Rod Serling. I, I, I actually had forgotten just how generally cool he was. Right. Until he like, came out and did his um and did his um did his did his monologue. Honestly, I'd listen to, I his voice is great. I'd listen to him say anything. Me too. I want him to navigate me on, on Google Maps. I just I just I just would love it if like because like, I, I know I know he is no longer with us but um I, I would I would like love it if, if like if like um if he was like around now to do like to do like um like cameo things like you know you like you know that you know the app cameo like like, how, like, like, like honestly how... I feel I feel like I feel like I'd, I feel like I'd write I feel I feel like I'd, I'd, I'd probably like spend like way too much money like writing um writing like Twilight Zone setups like ridiculous ones Yes, I would. I would pay. Essentially, I would pay Rod Serling to say ridiculous things on cameo. Same. And have him like read the thriller monologue or something. Yes, <laughs> that's a good. Ooh, okay, but Vincent Price, what a priceless voice right there. I just gotta say. <laughs> I just want to add a little thing, about, a little bit about Vincent Price. Obviously, the thrill, the monologue he did for Thriller was great. Although anybody out there though, I treat yourself to listening to the song Devil's Food on Alice Cooper's album Welcome to My Nightmare because he does in he does a way more intense version no not not version. He does a very intense monologue on that one about like how awesome spiders are and how he like worships the Black Widow and stuff like that. It's pretty fantastic. Oh wow, cool. <laughs> That's pretty metal. Anyways, my husband, Rod, the first installment of the series, or Twilight Zone classic in my head, uh, ran from 1959 to 1964 on CBS. Uh, Rod Serling wrote for radio and television. Um, a few of his scripts from for radio made it to television. He based many of his Twilight Zone episodes on his own experiences in the military during World War II. He also wrote a lot of stories, you know, looking down on snooty businessmen who thought that they were better than everybody. Um, and that's like that's so prominent in so many episodes. He also wrote a lot about death, fascism, 
human nature, aliens, and you think of it, and he wrote about it, basically. There's a little fun fact, too. I um, um I, I didn't find out until recently. Um, I don't know if he was, like, the head screenwriter, but he did some movie work, too. Um, he was a heavy hand in Planet of the Apes, which doesn't surprise me because Planet of the Apes is a Twilight Zone movie, except in color and, like, 90 minutes long. I love the Planet of the Apes. Wow. Okay, that makes sense. So much of the social commentary on this show uses science fiction as a vehicle to, you know, get to the moral of the story. Um, the Eye of the Beholder aired on November 11th, 1960. It has a 9 out of 10 on IMDb, should be a 10 out of 10, and an 83 on Rotten Tomatoes, which... Who, who, who are these people who make up the 17%? Right? I need to know. I need, an, I need their names and addresses so we can, you know, exchange some hands. <laughs> Side note, the latest installment, uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, which began in 2019, that one carries on Rod's and the series spirit so well. Like, it loudly addresses, you know, social issues, much like Rod's first installment did. Um, I love how bold the 2019 series is and how well it's written. I love the care that went into the production. It's You can tell that Jordan Peele really came at this with so much, you know, care and, and consideration for the original and for Rod, you know. Chef's kiss for that one. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I actually, well, I mean, I can't really say that because I haven't... I, 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 I was I was swayed by the masses on the Jordan Peele's version of Twilight Zone. I just, I never, well, first of all, it was on CBS All Access, which I just, I never really, like, like I wasn't really that into Star Trek at the time, and that was really their big thing. Um, yeah, Discovery, Dis- Discovery wasn't doing it for me. That was like their big, that was like their big claim to fame is, ooh, we got the new Star Trek series. Mm. Um, I hadn't seen The Next Generation, so Picard wasn't doing anything for me either. But yeah, and then that was the that was their other like really big high profile show was the was Jordan Peele's version of Twilight Zone. It makes perfect sense to me actually that Jordan Peele would do that because I mean honestly I I I I I'd probably put like Get Out and Planet of the Apes like in the same in the same conversation in the way that like they in a very in a very very big loud unmistakable way they address a social issue and there's a big twist involved and it, it the, the the trajectory of their of their careers were very similar and it makes perfect sense like jordan peele is probably the perfect person to go after this i'm gonna have to give that show a shot since now i have paramount plus i i much much like uh much like the venom movie from a couple years ago i did not watch it because everybody said it was bad and i realized that they were they were wrong about venom such a shame because i loved venom too like i walked out of that like wow that was an amazing movie and then i turn around and see you know all the comments like it was bad i'm like what what movie did you see? <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If you're, if you're listening to our podcast, all of our podcasts uh, this week, there's been a lot of Venom talk. I kind of got into Venom yesterday on um, Six by Six Theater. Um, obviously, this is the week. It is, anybody listening to this, you know, from the future, this we're we're recording this the week that Venom Let There Be Carnage is about to come out. In fact, I think there's going to be screenings in about four hours. Oh yeah, uh, we record on Thursdays. Also, Happy International Podcast Day. Yeah. And then we publish on Saturdays. So yes, you're listening to this after Venom, not the Carnage came out. Yeah, the Carnage has already been. <laughs> <laughs> there, there it goes. There goes the Carnage. <laughs> see ya. We, we can see the tidal wave of Carnage approaching us. It hasn't reached us yet, but. <laughs> so we fade in to a nurse walking into Miss Janet Tyler's hospital room during her one of her final visits. One of her final vis- visits to have a procedure done to fix her face quotes around fix. Uh, we don't see the nurse's face or Miss Tyler's either because it's wrapped in bandages. 
There's a quick exchange between the two where Miss Tyler recalls her childhood when children would look at her face and scream. Yikes. So it's a very mis- off to a very mysterious start. I just want to start off saying the camera work, the light work, all the writing in this episode, everything about this episode are my fave. I'm really big on how pretty and practical visual stuff is. Like I love practical effects more so than I love CGI cuz CGI can you can get a little lazy with that. But that's for another discussion. The way this episode obscures everybody's faces just enough so that the audience doesn't see anything but just enough to know that something is up. Oh my god, it's just it's so good. Yeah, I love it. It really calls to mind uh, classic noir and German expressionism. Obviously, those are like two sides of the same coin. Noir is based on expressionism. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it, but what's really neat about this is that it serves this dual purpose. Narratively, it hides everyone's faces so that they're able to face any direction they want. Because, I mean, it would be awkward if, we'd only, if we were only looking at their backs. Yeah, mm-hmm. the entire time. But I like the yeah they 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 use they use like very specific lighting. Like somebody will go and they'll 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 go and stand by the window, and that's in like a perfect shadow so that you can see their silhouette facing the right way, and they're making eye contact with each other. And it it it, it hides their faces so they don't tip their hand too soon on the on the on the big twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, not the end. It's like the middle. It's it's the climax. Like at the beginning of the third act or so. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it also, but it, but but it also uses its expressionist bent to create a sense of dread. You, it's like you said, you know, you know something's wrong just because of the the visual language that's being presented to you, and that's really powerful stuff. And honestly, it's kind of fitting that it looks like an expressionist movie because all these guys look kind of like the Phantom of the Opera. Ultimately, <laughs> another one of my favorites. <laughs> See, I always called them pig masks. I didn't, I didn't relate, you know, the Phantom of the Opera, but they also do look like fan- the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, I, I, I used, I used, I used to say, I used to say pig faces, but um, honestly, like it, it, it just forged the connection in my head. Um, that one, um, it's a Family Guy episode, oh, where I think, um, I think Lois is saying, "It's like I have been this embarrassed since you, t- since we went to the, since we went to the theater," and like. They're they're going to see they're going to see like the Andrew Lloyd Webber version of uh, Phantom of the Opera, and then Peter's just like, "Hey, let's see the gross half of your face so I can get out of here." Oh, I remember that, that nose though. better be piggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And just that that connection has never been able to go away. Now 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 so whenever now I see Phantom of the Opera, I, 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 any time I see like a like a like a like a, like a kind of piggish kind of nose like that. First thing that pops into my head is Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Family Guy, for all the gifts you've given me over my 28 years. Thanks, Family Guy, for ruining my life. <laughs> okay. Um, the nurse leaves Miss Tyler's room to the reception desk where another nurse is, and we also don't see her face. So, again, you know, nobody's face is exposed, even especially our, our main character. Um, they talk about patient 307, which is Miss Tyler, one of them expresses, if it were mine, you know, the face, I would bury my face in a grave someplace, which oh, is yeah. so mean. It is so mean. One, one thing I love, too, about this scene, I didn't write it in the outline, actually, but um, what I love in this scene is that they continue hiding the faces, but they reveal that they have, like, it, it, it's, 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 very, it's very clever on whoever, on the, on the director's part, because I think we'd all, we'd all kind of catch on to what's going on if they kept, like, doing shadows. But in this case, now they decided to switch. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to switch it up. Now it's angles. 
Now it's yes. now 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 we're now we're just now we're just now we're just looking at and we're and we're, and we're gonna use like you know the pack of cigarettes you know because because the it, it, it's done in a very classic movie fashion where they have the pack of cigarettes and they put it down on the table on the counter and it you know the, the camera lingers on it so it's kind of like a red herring because like because mm-hmm. because because that's how like old movies always did it like whenever something was whenever there was like a Chekhov gun they would just like hold on on the on the item for a while and I I don't believe those those cigarettes come into play ever again no. It was just a visual key to like keep your eye on that. But it was it was it was it was a very tricky move in terms of like obscuring the twist, and I'm into it. Yeah, that was that was that was very clever. They use a lot of like like certain zooming ins or croppings or like certain focuses to keep your eye away, like not focused on you know the faces. You're not thinking about it. You're thinking, how are those cigarettes going to come into play later? And it's using your knowledge of cinema against you. And that's that's how you do twists, guys. Everybody out there, take notes. Shyamalan, take notes. (laughs) Shyamalan. Because the twist in old was dumb. Ooh, <laughs> dang, Tim. <laughs> We're not here to talk about old. <laughs> yes. I do kind of want to watch that one just to see. It's, it's ultimately a good movie. It's just when, when they explain what's actually happening, it's... It's silly. It's, it makes no sense. Oh, so you mean like signs and then, you know. Kind of like anything. that. They, they do They do have a lot of fun with the concept of people rapidly aging in this one location. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually like, because when, when they, 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 they put too many nuts and bolts on it. Like this, this, this is why this is happening. We're not going to spoil it here. I apologize, everyone. I guess we are here to talk about old today. <laughs> Just, just for a second. This is this is this is this is six by six theater now. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is rerun shuffle. Okay, all right. I promise I will stop digressing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rod comes in, the beautiful man, with his, with, you know, with his usual like, hey, here's here's the premise, here's a vague premise of what's this going is on. No ordinary hospital. <laughs> yeah. yeah this... Miss Janet Tyler, hospital patient 307, lives in a private world of darkness. Surgeons have just labored to repair the hideously disfigured face that has made her lifelong made her a lifelong outcast. If the procedure fails, state officials re- will relegate her to a special village with others of her kind. Tyler waits with hope, her head completely covered in bandages, ready to witness the outcome of her doctor's efforts. So already you can pick up on some certain vibes, like some ableism, transphobia, homophobia, fascism, etc. You know, lots of them. Oh, the fascism is heavy in this episode. <laughs> <Heavy>. <laughs> so fade into a doctor che- checking on patient 307's vitals, and they discuss the maximum amount of procedures she can have. It's 11, and guess what? She's on her 11th visit. She tells the doctor that she feels some kind of comfort behind the bandages, calling it a safe place where nobody can see her. The doctor tells her everything that they've everything that they've done has had no effect, and they're hopeful that this latest one will do something for her. Plastic surgery isn't viable because of her bone structure, among other things that I can't really recall at the moment. But it's like you know, her her face just won't work with any of these procedures or plastic surgeries. Well, I mean, I think we kind of see why ultimately. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> The, because yeah, like the, the, not not to get too deeply into like later on in the episode, but yeah, like the the, the faces on the on the people who make up the the people the, the faces of the people who make up the majority of this universe future dystopia. I'm not sure what it is exactly. I don't think we're supposed to. It doesn't really matter. Whoever the people are in this in this in this alternate reality, their faces are structured like far different than anybody's on this world. Yeah. Um. I'm sure plastic surgery today could probably come up with something close. I'm sure we can we can get close to something like that if we really wanted to. But anyways, yeah, no, back in the day, I imagine plastic surgery only did so much, maybe. 
Yeah, med- medical science had only really gone so far in the mm-hmm. 60s. Yeah, that makes sense. There will be no more procedures after this one. Uh, I mean, the doctor does mention that there are other alternatives, but that's something that Miss Tyler doesn't really like the sound of. And... I don't know, something about this episode, like young, unknowing trans me really vibed with this episode because I didn't feel like I quite fit in. And I was always doing a lot to try and like fit into like the European uh, aesthetics that everybody loves, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in like the 90s, early 2000s and all that stuff. Symmetry, jaw lines, all that kind of stuff. (sighs) Symmetry? Who even... That's that, that. that's that's serial killer stuff, honestly. Like <laughs> being into like facial symmetry, like that's weird. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, hot takes today on the <laughs> run shuffle. Tim, are you sure you don't need more caffeine? <laughs> <laughs> so Miss Tyler changes the subject. I completely understand, you know. And she has to go outside just to pretend she's normal and not some grotesque, ugly woman. And I feel so bad for her. I also hate the way the doctor touches her throughout this episode. I just it's just too touchy, too sensual for a doctor to be touching a patient yeah i i i kind of I picked up some vibes that like that like maybe maybe he was like kind of in love with her or something a little bit because um he because i mean he has that whole conversation with the nurse later on in the episode yeah. about how like you know he he this, this this isn't an everyday thing for him getting super emotionally attached to a patient like he really wanted to come through for her and I don't get the sense that it's because he's a particularly good doctor. Hmm. I think I think I think he either had some love or lust for Miss Tyler. That's really funny. That kind of uh, so there's this whole thing where like it's the doll syndrome or this. So trans women have to deal with a lot of like dehumanization and a lot of like mistreatment, trans misogyny. There's chasers. Men will still be like. Ugh. I don't want to even say anything because it's all transphobic. But, you know, it's it's very like they'll sexualize a, a, a woman. But like when it comes down to it, like once they're done with her, they'll, you know, they just set her down like a doll and they don't play with her anymore. You know, stuff like that. No. Um, there's there's a lot of um, trans activism and literature on this stuff. So y'all can do further reading. But yeah, that's a that's a whole thing that it's funny that you do mention that, you know, you, you picked up some vibes of like love or lust because that is something like people will impose cis people will impose their values, their their ideals of beauty onto like a trans woman and sexualize her until they don't want to deal with her or unless like or until she doesn't want to like conform to their ideals of mm-hmm. whatever yeah and and you ha- you do have to you do have to like even consider too like like what like why why was this so important why, why was this patient's plight so important to him personally mm. and, and and it's funny you mentioned that he was imposing things on her because he actually says to her um to look the way that you would like to look she i mean I, ultimately she does she does express some desire to i mean if it's for for different reasons, like societal reasons, but she she does ultimately express a desire to change her appearance. But at that point, we have no way of knowing that, and he is, and I I don't think even he had any way of knowing that. So he was mm. definitely one hundred percent imposing his values on her and his view of the world. Absolutely. So see, isn't this? I love this episode. Um, she also mentions, you know, like she she repeats words back at him, like, "Oh, people of my kind congregated. You mean segregated and putting us in a ghetto." And I'm like, yeah, call it as it is. Oh, that little monologue was great. Oh, I love it. I, I just, I, I, I just want to give a quick shout out to, um, I actually, man, I did not pony up on my cast for this episode. <laughs> uh, the actor who plays um, Janet Tyler, uh, she's fantastic with her, like, because um, you, because you, you, you don't see her face until Act Three. Mm-hmm. And she just does like these like super dramatic silent movie kind of, um, kind of like like hand movements. You want to know why? 
So they had a voiceover. They had a voice actress over the the actual actresses oh, acting. Oh, I see. And it's a different actress, and they were gonna. I can't recall what the trivia was, but they decided to keep the actress who was actually acting because they had similar enough voices. So they just had the one voice actress do the voiceover when she had the bandages over her head. Hmm. That's yeah. I, I I had absolutely no idea about that. Yeah, that's why her her everything was so exaggerated. You know, her her body, her language, her body language. I just I just loved all that because. Um... It really, it really kind of feeds into it because if I don't know, I don't know if it started life as a radio play, The Twilight Zone. I, but I know that I know that it did dip into it. I know that eventually it became a radio drama. And Rod Serling obviously has a background in radio, so it kind of felt like he was kind of playing in that sandbox again. And and because 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 it, it's 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 really strange. Like I, obviously you might be like, hey Tim, you're an idiot. That's just called synchronized sound. <laughs> but it's kind of like they, they. I don't know if you know what I mean here, but it's it's kind of like they mixed a silent film with a radio play. Oh no, because, I because you don't see anybody's you, you you don't see anybody's faces. You can't look into anyone's eyes. But you do get everybody's. You do you do get like the sense of everybody because they're all like giving this like to the rafters vocal performance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it, 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 it's it's like those two things are mixed, and I was really into it. I haven't seen enough silent cinema, so like I was like, you know what, this this is this is cool. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you can. Oh my god, you can see where Rod like uses. I need to stop calling him by his first name, but that's what I just do now. Um, <laughs> Me and Rod, we're buddies. <laughs> Rod and I, my husband Rod, you know, out on the out on the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was speaking to Rod today. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> I love I loved when you can see where he kind of mixes his mediums and it just works so well. It's, it's beautiful. 100%. Uh, one other thing before we move on. I know one thing that kind of struck me and actually, well, yeah, is, is that when you were going through all those like messed up words they were using about like w- like where she would go ultimately i don't maybe maybe i maybe maybe it was just my three o'clock in the morning brain talking mm-hmm. but um when they were talking about um alternatives and like because i i i was i, I was thinking like euthanasia okay so my my brain went there immediately too and i started thinking about um the Giver. Which I haven't read. <laughs> you haven't read or watched it? I have not, no. So euthanasia is a thing. I, it, it, it's another dystopian... Fe- oh, my God. I'm just giving you all my my dystopian lore love. <laughs> um, the Giver would... Ugh, I hate these words. They would euthanize or free or, you know release some of the undesirables oh yeah yeah that was and that, that was actually a word that they used in this episode i think if, if i remember right uh i think it was remove uh-huh and oh my god i love these old dystopian things i love old dystopian media because they do i mean it's all about the same thing but i love how each one has like a certain approach to this same you know dystopian type of thing type of world i don't know i love dystopian stuff <laughs> Ooh, and then, you know, going on about how she's like, you know, getting mad about him using about the doctor using all these like words to sugarcoat the discrimination she's facing. She says the state is not God. She yells at him, you know, after hearing some of these things and hearing some of her options. And she gets upset and must be restrained because she she just can't take it anymore. And the doctor says, you know, fine, I'll take the bandages off because she's she's just she's just getting go. She's going wild under there tired of having the bandages on honestly yeah i i i would too mm-hmm. if like if like i would if I, if I was waiting to see if like it, because because yeah, it really does come down to i have these bandages on that are hiding my my future 
pretty much. Like, like, will society accept me, or am I going to have to go into the boonies to live with the other... Other people like me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I, I, I froze up. I didn't want to use a bad word there. Yeah. I ran through my mental thoughts ran through like four. And I was like, no, they all sound mean. I better not. Yeah. Um, outcasts, um, undesirables, all stuff like that. It really breaks my heart because there are trans people out there who do try to undergo some hormone treatment and sometimes the hormone treatment doesn't do anything for them um sometimes bodies just don't accept that it's just oh my god this episode i love it <laughs> i it, can't it's a real shame too because like yeah you can definitely tell that janet like really to t- take society's conventions to heart she really really like once we get to that point and when she when she when she really comes out, she really really wants to be like everyone else. And she doesn't even want to be beautiful. She just wants to be accepted. Like just don't scream. Yeah, she even she even says that. Like I just mm-hmm. would like to get to a point where people don't scream when they look at my face. So this can apply to more than just transgender people. Um, there's intersex people. There's um, pe- uh, people with disabilities. There's remember when leprosy was like considered leprosy, and then people didn't really want to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see. Pe- people with larger bodies. Um, I don't know. Just like anybody, a lot of people can, you know, insert themselves into this narrative, into Miss Tyler's. Into Miss yeah, Tyler's. Yeah, even position. even just people who don't cut their hair the same way, or <laughs> who maybe have some, or maybe or maybe who have just have like 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 chemical imbalances in their face skin, and they just they can't help but break out. Like yeah, acne. Oh my god, I know. So my mom has dealt with like adult acne. I think I'm dealing with that too, actually. Um, <laughs> like she, the way she, the way she let her acne rule her view of herself was really sad. Ooh, that also reminds me. She has curly hair. She's ashamed of her curly hair. Hmm. Yeah, she wanted to be nice and straight, and I'm like, you, your hair's beautiful, you know? Yeah, I don't want curly hair. So yeah, le- like anybody can can insert themselves into into Miss Tyler's shoes and be like, yeah, I've you know, felt I've felt bad for not fitting in. I've done things to myself to try and fit in. It's a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he says he's going to cut the bandages off, and then he... But then before that, you cut to a nurse approaching the doctor when he's having a smoke in his office or something, and she tells him he looks exhausted and not to get personally involved here. And, you know, we were we talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, but he's determined, though, and he said he's seen her real face, and it's a human face, I just I don't know I hate this whole humanizing and dehumanizing thing. Yeah, this yeah this this all of this goes into I think my theory that like he that he 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 he, he like it, it's this really messed up thing. He wants the inside. He wants the outsides to match the insides. Like oh, uh, it, it, it's and and like and like he's kind of like he's he's got this kind of self-important air mm-hmm. about himself. Like he really thinks he's being the hero here, but <laughs> right. you can tell that he's like incredibly superficial yep and that like that like he i i i still do think that yeah he's he's in love with janet tyler Mm. but he won't let himself do anything um in regard to her unless i mean there there are other dimensions here as we'll learn in a minute but a big part of it is just that yeah he he, unless she fits the standard beauty conventions he doesn't want anything to do with her Mm -hmm. and that's and that's and that's and that's his supposed tragedy (laughs) makes me it makes me hate him even more exactly there's a whole futurama episode where the cyclops leela wants to get two eyes and this doctor was like yeah have some two eyes i'll give you two eyes and then he's like you know what you seem just average enough for me to date now Ew. (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah 
<laughs> Gotta love beauty standards. Anyway, so the nurse replies, it's easier for me to imagine her as human with the bandages on. And the doctor questions, well, why aren't people allowed to be different? As they, before he gets too passionate about it, they abruptly stop because they don't want to get in trouble with whoever may overhear. And then you cue the great leader or their dictator speaking about glorious conformity. And there's, again, it goes into this whole like dehumanizing and humanizing and gatekeeping stuff for Miss Tyler. It's It's what a lot of people who need medical help or like access to look to access to fit in through medical means. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say here, though, um, this episode is like incredibly on point, laser focused in terms of theme. I think in this particular moment, I think they stumbled a little narratively. I don't think I, I, I disagree with their decision to show the dictator at this moment because I think that tips the hand. We now see what people are supposed to look like in this universe. Mm-hmm. And see, I, I, I feel like that, that lets a little bit of the air out of the ultimate reveal later on in the episode. It didn't bug me too much on a personal level just because um, I've had this, I, I, this is the, I think this is the first time I've seen this episode all the way through. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's memes and gifs of what the people in Eye of the Beholder look like yeah. all over the internet. Um, I had this spoiled for me a long time ago. I didn't necessarily know what it was from, but I think I connected the dots pretty mm-hmm. soon once I saw once I saw what the what the what the dictator mm-hmm. what the leader looked like. And yeah, I, I think I think that just narratively that that lets some of the air out. This is this is all fantastic stuff thematically, like I said. Yeah. But yeah, I just it bummed me out a little bit that they that they, that they revealed this much. I think they tried to be a little sneaky by making like having his, the screen of him a little far off or like, you know, where it's, you don't actually fully see it clearly his face, but you know, you know something's off. So I think they tried to they tried to be subtle with it. I but... just kind of hard to hide that nose. <laughs> yeah, you, it's hard to hide that whole thing. I, I, I just, I just, I just think maybe because, because that's because that's the first face that we see in the episode, and True. and and so and 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 your eyes are kind of going to be drawn to it. You're going to be looking at him more because finally, oh, oh, it's eyes I can look into. And so I, I feel I feel like that might have been just a teensy little misstep. Mm. It doesn't hurt the episode in any meaningful way. This oh, is just yeah. a nitpick on my end. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I was I was a little bit bummed out by that. Yeah, it's I know they could have done it a little bit better. But hey, everything else is amazing. Um, so it's time to remove the bandages. Ooh, great scene. Oh my god, they remove them. They remove the bandages layer by layer, and in between these layers, they ask, "How much light can you see?" Elongating that the the putting off the reveal and oh my god yeah, they, they, I oh sorry no you're good I don't know how many times I've watched this episode but every single time I'm on the edge of my seat they, they do it from this really cool POV um, POV shot where I, I'm I, I don't know exactly how they did it but it looks like they just wrapped a camera lens with bandages and then slowly took them off mm-hmm. and we just slowly see um, more light doctor silhouettes mm-hmm. and like even someone like me who knows how this ends, even I was like, even I was like, I had this pit in my stomach. I was like, oh man. I, and 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 also, you know, I felt bad about it too afterward because, like, obviously, like, I'm I'm on Janet's side, and you know, I'm supporting what Janet wants. And when even though she's kind of allowing herself to be indoctrinated in this really messed up dystopia, you want her to be happy, and right. so you're kind of rooting for her. Did did she did she fix her face? It, it, does she look like everybody else now? And yeah, you, you're 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 on her side. It creates this really complicated relationship between you and the narrative, and mm-hmm. I always like stuff like that. Yeah, me too. Call 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 me out on my nonsense <laughs> movies, please. I beg of you. You saw yourself being indoctrinated too, didn't you, viewer? <laughs> so things get brighter. Things get brighter, like the light at the end of the tunnel, 
And before the final bandage is off, the doctor prepares her with a small pep talk, like, oh, you can still live a full life with people of your own kind constantly. They, these people are human. They, they establish that they are human. He, and he's like, with people of your own kind, but it's like, y'all are all human. You know, anyways, mm-hmm. yeah. So Miss Tyler is like, if I'm still terribly ugly, could I please be put away? Ouch. I know, it's so sad. It's the, the implications, like what must she have gone through in her day-to-day life to get her to this point? <laughs> to be to be willing to lay in a hospital bed for, for 11 visits with bandages on her face, being basically just, just passive-aggressively condescended to by the medical staff. Kind of reminds me of my experience in, within the medical in the medical care field but you know read some of my opinion articles to get more into that <laughs> Ooh, plugs <laughs> plugs read viewpoints orange boxes guys <laughs> so when the bandages are finally off the doctor says there's no change at all and we'll f- when we finally see miss tyler is a beautiful blonde woman and she's upset of course and is about to get sedated however she escapes and all the medical staff are revealed to have pig faces or phantom of the opera faces mm-hmm. they're all, they're all, yeah they all look like Phantom of the Opera, Nosferatu-y kind of. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they definitely, yeah. This, 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 this. this we, it, it's now fully 100% revealed that this, that, that the beauty standards in this world are 100% inverted, like just a straight flip. I thought they were kind of cute. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, people agree. I, I, I was, I, I think we were talking um, last night, and um, I was looking for some pictures for a social media post that we're gonna do, that we're gonna post today. And um, yeah, you can buy like a COVID face mask mm-hmm. where the bottom half of your face looks like one of the eye of the beholder people. I'm like, I kind of want that. That's I cool. was <laughs> considering buying that actually, <laughs> but I'm like, do I really want to do that? Hmm. <laughs> so. At the end of her escape attempt, she runs into a representative of the community that she's going to be going to, um, and it's a generically attractive young man, you know, and he he doesn't have a face like the, the Phantom of the Opera or pig faces like everybody else has. And he tells her that she'll be with people of her own kind and will feel a sense of belonging and being loved with time. And she asks the representative, like, why do things have to be this way? And he tells her, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And God, I love it. And then they exit together with the hospital staff, you know, seeing them off. And then it closes. And then Rod's closing statement comes in. And it's, oh, here, let me just read it out real quick. Now, the question that comes to mind, where is this place and when is it? What kind of world where ugliness is the norm and beauty the deviation from that norm? You want an answer? The answer is, it doesn't make any difference. Because the old saying happens to be true. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In this year or a hundred years hence, on this planet or wherever there is human life, perhaps out amongst the stars, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Lesson to be learned in the twilight zone. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I actually I, I actually feel like they tip their hand a little bit in terms of where this takes place. I, I think I, I, I think they basically reveal that it's the future mm. because of um that's what the, that's what the representative tell um says to her. Um by the way, yeah, I love I love I love I love when, when her and the representative meet like they're they're obvious they're both hot. I, it's so hot. Like like <laughs> like like like, it, like he's wearing he's wearing like the like he's got his hair perfectly done. Um, not a single facial blemish to be seen. He's he's like wearing like a tight black shirt tucked in, like and he's, he's ripped, buddy. Like yeah, <laughs> and um and and they both have like that perfect glamorous movie star lighting on them, like in in a way that you don't see on anybody else in the episode. I like think... they 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 lit them perfectly in an old school movie kind of way. Exactly, but I think they even do the soft lens on Miss mm-hmm. Tyler's face. They which... did they did all of the things that they do for like they like 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 yeah she she looked like Judy Garland in yeah. 
yes. in in Wizard of Oz. Like, but yeah, but the representative is like getting off on a little tangent there. Um, yeah, the representative <laughs> says uh, there's an old phrase, an old old phrase. He says, "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder." Eye of the beholder. So I'm mm. pretty sure that's our world, but far in the future. But you're not supposed to know that because this is the Twilight. But zone. yeah, I I, 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 can't help. I like I said, I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Marvel fan. I can't help but like dig a little bit into the minutia of the universe. But I do, but I do, but I do, I do realize and appreciate that. Yeah, it doesn't matter when, where, how this takes place because it's now. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we don't have, maybe we don't have like pig monsters running the world. Oh, but we don't. Sorry, go on. Sorry. Um. No, not, not at the moment. <laughs> not not dropping any names. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Anyways, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, I, true. Roger Waters definitely thinks that mm. a pig monster around the world. Anyway, um, but yes, um, it does. It doesn't matter because this stuff is happening now, mm-hmm. and it might not ever stop. Damn. Probably will never stop. To be honest, hate to say it, but it's kind of sad. Reality. Woo! Love reality. <laughs> All right. So I guess that brings us to our final question. I'm going to let you start on this one. I, I, I usually do mine first, but you, like I said before, this, this is definitely like your episode. You, <laughs> definitely, you, definitely, you definitely have a, a far more personal connection, way more context with this episode than I do. I do. It's so So bad. Leo, how does this hold up? All right. I, let me premise it with all this. So this whole episode makes me feel a certain way as a trans person of color in a queer relationship in a not-so-trans-friendly world. There's a lot of expectations about how one is supposed to present based on how you're born. By this logic, cis people are expected to look in the binary way that's been set for them. So, you know, man or woman. So how are trans people, intersex people, non-binary people, disabled people, you know, people of color, anybody? How are they supposed to feel or, you know, how are they expected? Where are they expected to go when for so much of recent history, people have been trying to erase us and, you know, omit the fact that we exist? And again, this doesn't just apply to queer folk. Again, I I keep mentioning, I just love to put the trans and gender spin on it because you know that's that, that's your yeah that's your that's, yeah. that's your context. I, I've had a lot. There's there's a lot of movies out there that are about something else, but like I'll watch it and I'll be like, wow, that's what it's like to have anxiety. Like even even <laughs> like, it, like if you listen to our six by six theater, I hated the movie Dear Evan Hansen, but there is like one dimension to that movie, one scene where I was like, this nails it, hmm. and I felt I felt very I felt very I felt very understood by that one scene. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie is a trash pile. Of really bankrupt morals, but um, yikes! <laughs> we'll, get into, we'll get into that another time. I'll have to listen to your hot takes <laughs> on the six by six podcast, everybody. <laughs> More plugs. Um, so when the doctor says something about looking normal the way Miss Tyler always wanted to look, and Miss Tyler talks about how she finds some comfort in hiding in her own world behind bandages, um, sometimes even imagining that things are normal when her face is hidden. It's so relatable because I'm clearly not where I want to be in my transition. And um, not being where I want to be in my transition basically means I don't present how I want to be perceived by other people. So sometimes I wish that nobody could perceive me at all. (laughs) I it's either please see me as I am or just don't look at me at all, please. Like if you're going to see me as like a woman, just just walk away. (laughs) I, I didn't exist. You didn't see me. Nothing. And I I and many transgender people who choose to medically transition become unavoidably visible. So 
when we're visible um, and not matching with the binary standard that we were set to follow, um, we're met with questions, sometimes hostility, sometimes various forms of abuse and assault, even death a lot of the times. Even in this, like in this uh, episode, you know, condescending medical professionals even that make it really not fun to go to the doctor. And they want to like, yeah, just, just like with this doctor in a lot of cases, they... Um... The, this, this doctor was was very much white knighting. Like mm. he he really he really he really seemed to see himself as as the hero. God, he really did. Thank you so much for. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing that my girlfriend and I discussed when we were uh, watching it. Um, he just it, it was it's just so gatekeepy of him. And so when violence is used to police how society is supposed to conduct themselves, and let's let let's apply this to our world for a second. Then, of course, trans, intersex, non-binary, LGBTQ+, disabled people, even people with diverse body types and people of color and anybody who doesn't fit the blueprint, of course, some people are going to feel shame. Of course, many of us are going to try to fit the blueprint no matter the cost of our well-being or anything like that. Um, of course, people are going to hide or try to fit in. It's life, death, excommunication and other not so nice things or fit in for safety. And obviously that's what the episode is saying, especially when Miss Tyler asks the community representative, like, why do things have to be this way? And he responds, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And Rod even repeats it a couple times, too, in his closing passage. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, meaning the standard of beauty is set and maintained by the ones who control what you're beholding, mm -hmm. the ones beholding the beauty standards. Yeah, that was that was something that really struck me about this episode is that, yes, it gets into all of the stuff about beauty standards and convention and all that kind of stuff. But what I really appreciated was that the message does does kind of extend a little bit beyond, like the, the, the a, a little bit beyond the beauty standards, because the fact that we're watching this in either the alternate universe or a dystopian future, uh, it really underlines the idea that there are a lot of people out there that you know I, I've 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 I, I, I'm a little mentally off to the side, you know the, the <laughs> way the way I the way I think about the way I think about the world, the way I kind of catch up to things sometimes. Um, I, I I take the long way around sometimes. Um, oh, I feel that. <laughs> and um, I have been looked at like an idiot a lot of the time or a weirdo or something. And that all comes from the fact that, you know, there's some si there's some sort of like societal hive mind out there where did, just for some reason there's certain people who are keyed into it and certain people, I guess, who aren't like like me, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> who just Mood. like they all they all they all just kind of seem to inherently understand what's right and what's wrong and what's ugly, what's beautiful, what's smart and what's dumb. And, you know, and and and, and, so, and sometimes you just wonder, like, are all like my flyers getting lost in the mail? Like, <laughs> am I not going to be allowed to go to these meetings where we all decide how we're supposed to be? It's so weird because even you're a cis man and even you are like confused by the, the binary standards that, mm -hmm. that have been set here. Um, but that doesn't say anything about your how you identify or like how, co how comfortable you are in your own skin or anything like that. Like just because you don't do this or that doesn't mean you're not a man. It's just it's like what where do we where, where are the lies? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and yeah, it, it just where 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 is all this, this where is all this being discussed? What's the standard by which it's being discussed? Like, what's what's the key? What's the rule book? Who wrote it? Mm -hmm. Where is the where is the book exactly? Yeah. Then you know, just somebody show me the book. And I think the thing is, like, it's all in the in our imagery. It's all in our like what we perceive, like what's shown to us. You know, um, like the leader being broadcasted at in every single hallway, saying this is what is supposed to be done. This is you know conformity mm -hmm. you know like i get we do have to be because visual culture i've i've taken visual culture at rcc guys so <laughs> <laughs> 
I always end up talking about visual culture, but visual culture is how we identify ourselves based on everything outside of ourselves, everything that we see outside of ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're constantly blasted with these messages, eventually you're going to internalize them. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it also kind of like gets into, yeah, it's a gang individual culture, like in, it, like pop culture especially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that, that's a that's a big like tropey thing where you'll watch a show or something that like 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 I think a, a great example of this is uh, 30 Rock. It's a it's a running it's a running joke that the main character, Liz Lemon, played by Tina Fey, is like incredibly awkward and incredibly unattractive and kind of gross. I love and her. What? <laughs> it's like she's Tina Fey though. Like <laughs> like How like, dare you say anything? And about and Tina and, Fey. and it kind of plants that in the back of your head. Like I mean, even 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 like even like as male, um I'm seeing the way they're talking about how Liz Lemon is an unattractive person. And I'm thinking, well, if she's considered unattractive, then good god, I must be a gargoyle. Like, you know, like it, it kind of Tim <laughs> No, it, 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 it just that, that's what society implants in you, though. Like, yeah, like when, it's true. When, 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 like, movie after movie after movie after movie has a, has have these characters that are supposed to be ugly, it's like, oh yeah, John Cusack is really ugly in this movie, and and you're and you're like, well, clearly I'm not as good looking as John Cusack. So <laughs> you know, it, it really, it really just, it, really, it kind of brings you that, it brings you that place, and all this stuff just kind of when, when you watch these movies as a kid. Obviously, I know it's all nonsense now, mm-hmm. but when you're a kid, this all this kind of like sinks into your subconscious and builds your worldview. And that's honestly why it's it's probably pretty dangerous that I learned a lot of what I know about. A lot of us did. I, most of us since like probably like the 70s, most likely, mm-hmm. when TV really took over. Uh, a lot of us learned what we know about the world through television and pop culture. And it it, it causes problems because they've had some very bad attitudes for a very long time. And there's still very bad attitudes on TV that were that some people are desperately trying to change and you know rewrite the narrative. But when we get to rewrite that, and when it's actually going to be you know a proper representation of more diverse people and all that stuff, like I don't yeah, know right, when. Right, right now, it's honestly basically just like kid shows that are doing this. It is, and <laughs> and everybody wonders why I like cartoons and kids shows. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel most represented in them. Let me live. So uh, it's 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 such a simple premise. It's so anyways, not only do not only does like is the writing, the camera work, the lighting, like not only do all those hold up, but the moral of the story, the entire story, the entire episode holds up. Again, it's such an obvious little premise like, yeah, conformity and policing bodies is inhumane slash inhuman, but it's executed so well. It's simple enough so many people can relate to Miss Tyler and profound enough to hold up through the decades. Again, I just cannot express my love for this show and especially this episode enough. I mean, look at all the content we got for it. Oh, yeah. This is definitely one of our longer ones. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, we're good. We're good. This is great. Um, So, yeah, in terms of how this holds up, I lack your personal context and your personal connection to it. Um, that context that led to your feelings on this episode, but um, I can 100% see where you're coming from. Obviously, like, like that, that's that, that that's something I have to keep reiterating to the world that you know I, I do sometimes talk like I know what I'm talking about, but I need to remind the world that like look, this is all just empathy. Like this is all just me listening to what people have to say and just kind of like just take just taking this just 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 taking that into consideration. Uh, but yeah, I, I do lack the direct context and the direct experience, but I can definitely see where your feelings for this episode come from. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the filmmaking, just because that's that was kind of the big thing that I that I attached to because I, I am I am a film student. Um, it's immaculate. It is like really like complex. Like for for a, for a half hour television show, the production value is just nuts. Even though it only takes place in like one building, mm-hmm. like it's only really one set most likely. Uh, they did a lot with it, and the mood is so thick that no earthly knife could possibly cut it. It, it like the, the 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 way they use lighting for both narrative purposes and for like mood and scene setting purposes and and, and they do that at the same time is genius I love I, i've never seen anything else do something like that um and the message yeah, as we've, we've thought as we've talked at length about is both is both timeless and applicable to many different parts of the human experience human experience this ep- the show and this episode is a classic for a reason so uh, yes i would definitely argue that uh, it holds up and honestly watching watching this episode especially kind of makes me like wonder why people attach so hard to the twilight zone ride at california adventure <laughs> because um I, I don't know if you ever went on it I haven't. Um, well, the whole bit is that basically you are you're in a Twilight Zone episode. That's that's supposed to be the whole. That's supposed to be the whole bit. You're, oh, you're going to sweet. you're going that's to a hotel. <laughs> um, it, it it does get a little weird because you go into the library and the Twilight Zone starts playing on the TV and Rod Serling is talking directly to you about the messed up thing you're about to get wrapped up in. To me personally, no, I'm just kidding. sorry. Go <laughs> but on. what's but what's um. But what's but what's but what's wild is that like the, it's it's a drop tower ride. It, 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 well, I mean, it's still, it's still it still exists. The Guardians of the Galaxy ride now. It's but it, yeah, it's 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 an indoor is an indoor drop tower. And yeah, there's no like it it didn't it didn't it, it never really like attached itself to it, never, it didn't really utilize its Twilight Zone inspirations because it the story of the ride doesn't really say anything about society. The the whole bit is just that these 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 these, these Hollywood elites, these movie stars and stuff, they got onto an elevator, this glamorous Hollywood. Tower Hotel, and while they were at the and, the, and while they were at the top floor, uh, the building was struck by lightning, and the tower dropped to the ground. And when they opened up the elevator, the 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 people in there were gone. And so that's what happens to you. You get on, you get on, you get on the elevator. It takes you to the thirteenth floor, which doesn't exist. Oh no! And yeah, <laughs> then you just you get dropped, and you get brought back up, and everything's a nightmare. Um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's fun, but yeah, it there like it, it was weird that it was a Twilight Zone theme because yeah, like that that's what the Twilight Zone is is this is, is satire. Yeah. It, and 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 using using sci-fi and weirdness to talk about to talk about society. Like, honestly, like a, 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 I, I, I would love it if there was like a proper Twilight Zone ride that like that was that like that like kind of like you know like condemned you a little bit for like for like be for like being at a theme park and supporting this corporate machine. Disney would never oh, okay that. God, I would love but, that. Like, that would be so in spirit. Like it would, yeah. I, I like. I, I feel like Rod Serling was around because, 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 because that's that that that's a bizarre thing too. Is that they actually used like footage of Rod Serling from? Um, I believe it was the. Uh, I forgot what the name of the episode was. Uh, it was the one where that little kid has the power to like um, wish people away to an alternate dimension. I can't remember the name of that episode, but I love that one. But yeah, like they, they, they I think, I think, they, I think they used, they used footage from that. They superimposed a different background, and they had a VO guy come in to do new dialogue. But yeah, it, it, it's very. It, I, I feel like if Rod Serling, Serling was around when the Tower of Terror opened, I feel like he would have pushed for it. He would have been like, he would have been like, let's let's like have at um, Disneyland as an institution. Like, if you really want to make it Rod Serling esque, you would just be. No corporations, no this. Why are you spending your money here? Like, you should be ashamed. You entering the Twilight Zone. You particular, especially all you pass holders. Yeah. Which of, of which I was one for a while, and I probably will be in the future. I know Leo's probably mad at me for that, but. 
the last time I went to Disneyland, I think I was 12. And before that, I think it was for my eighth birthday. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the, I, I, would def- I would definitely uh, push back a little bit on, on, on being totally down on Disneyland because um, what's fantastic about that place is that it's not just, I mean, I mean, yes, it is an ugly corporate machine. Disney is 100% like American psycho levels of crazy when it comes yes. to their, when it comes to their capitalism. But there is nowhere else in the world that does um, like, 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 like immersive storytelling like they do. Some of their mm. some of the some of their rides are sights to behold. Like the, 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 the they they put that money to good use. At the <laughs> and 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 that's and that's always what I want. That's what I always want to focus on the is quality. just the production value and the quality. The fact that like they can take a roller coaster but also put an engrossing story around it. Mm. You know, the Indiana Jones ride is just a is just a dark ride with motion simulator elements, but like there's all this lore behind it, and like you're genuinely scared during certain parts of it just because of how well the story is presented. Not pitching. <laughs> I'm not that you go there or anything, but no, that, but I'm, 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 I'm just I'm just saying my piece that yes I do understand that it is a that it, that it is that it is an ugly piece of capitalistic nonsense. There there is some balance. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's a good product, and that's why I choose to continue buying it. I think it's hilarious that the Twilight Zone ride is like a sanitized version of the Twilight Zone at a corporate museum. I mean, a museum at a corporate theme park. Mm-hmm. It's just haha. They just yeah. They just Rod the would think thing. that was funny. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but yes, I I just brought that up because um, theme parks are theme parks are one of my favorite things. I honestly hope to start a theme park podcast one day. Oh, um, I like roller coasters. Yeah, roller coasters. I, I've I've been getting more into them recently. <gasps> ever since I worked at Knott's Berry Farm for a while. So uh, but yeah, I just felt like I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, which honestly, as weird as it is in terms of being a, an, an adaptation based on the Twilight Zone, it, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the most singular experiences. And I really miss it. I, I, do, I do love the Guardians of the Galaxy with all my heart, but the Tower of Terror was a better ride. All right. Now, since we're done talking about the Twilight Zone... <laughs> This concludes our fifth episode of Rerun Shuffle. Five episodes. This show is in kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways, keep an eye on this podcast network. We are finally putting those big moves into motion that we've been talking about. I haven't been shutting up about it. And yes, it is happening. (laughs) We're moving. As we speak, check out The Field of View, a sports podcast with Brian Calderon and Jesus Coronel. Definitely check out our website, viewpointsonline.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Riverside City College Viewpoints or on Twitter and Instagram at RCC Viewpoints. Uh, Tim, where can we find you personally? Well, for starters, I also host a podcast um, outside of the Viewpoints universe. Uh, this is the this is a, a third show that I that I that I, that I, that I co-host. Uh, it's called the Super Awesome Variety Show with my friend uh, Brandon Eska. Uh, we do a lot of uh, pop culture critique, but uh, we also record super late at night, so it's just oh. like off the rails all the time. <laughs> just it, we, we we screw around and we get distracted. Uh, if you want to hear me get mad about the cast of the Mario Brothers movie, um, definitely tune into the one that we dropped this morning. <laughs> Thursday morning? This morning? Yesterday morning. Yesterday. Oh boy. Oh boy. Wednesday, Wednesday morning. It's up there. It's the latest episode. <laughs> if you're listening to this right now, anyway, you can find that on Instagram at Super Awesome Variety Show and on Twitter at SavsPod. Uh, the language is a little bit saltier than you'll hear here, so fair warning if you have good Christian ears. Um, <laughs> uh, you can also find you can find uh, me myself on Twitter and Instagram at Nacy Tim. That is spelled N A C E Y. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chupacabral. 
It's like Chupacabra, but with an L and an underscore at the end. So C-H-U-P-A-C-A-B-R-A-L underscore. DM us any show suggestions or, you know, let us know that you love us. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, hit, yeah, hit, hit us up. Go for it. <laughs> DMs are dry. DMs are dry. Trying to moisten them up a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, this is... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh no, this is getting a little PG thirteen. <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> <Like> stars. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, no, we're done. We're not taking this to that in that direction. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for listening and have a good one. Yeah, bye. <laughs>